With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hello, Seattle, and hello, San Francisco. We are coming out to do live shows in January for you guys, Mm -hmm. like we seem to do every year now. Yeah, it's kind of a pattern that's emerging, Chuck. That's right. And the pattern is, you come to see us, you laugh, we have a good time, Mm -hmm. and everyone leaves happy. That's the pattern. So... If you want to leave happy, you can come see us on Thursday, January 16th at the Moore Theater in Seattle. And you can come see us Saturday, January 18th at the Castro in San Francisco. Yes, part of our annual retreat to Sketchfest. Yes. So if you want tickets and information, go to sysklive.com, our home on the web, powered by our friends at Squarespace. And we'll see you in January. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. There's Jerry over there. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. What else would it be? A TV show? Not for a long time, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that intro. Okay. That's good. good. I'm glad. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, who did I say melted many years ago? Was it the Maya? No, Neanderthals. Oh, that's right. Or Thals, if you don't want to be a, a douche. <laughs> Can we say that? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> Jerry didn't even hear it. Maybe she will in the in the edit. I bet she won't. <laughs> um, yeah, it was the Neanderthals, but I'm going to go ahead and say it again. Maybe it's the Maya. Melted? Sure. Due to climate change. Maybe. But that's what you were talking about, right? The Neanderthals melted because of climate change. That's right. Which I thought was hilarious. But let's talk about the Maya civilization. Oh, yeah, yeah. I meant to tell you. Let's let's kind of move stuff around here. Oh, great. Do you want to? Sure. Do I mean, what do you mean? Well, let's talk about Charles Lindbergh first. Oh, okay. I think he's a better intro than just kind of randomly in the middle. All right. Don't you? Sure, and that means we can start out in the Wayback Machine. Okay, good. Which we would have been in anyway, but we'll be closer. We'll save some gas. It's way closer. That's right. We're going back to February of 1929. Yes, February 1929 when uh, Chuck Lindbergh was flying uh, for Pan Am, Mm -hmm. and he was flying over what is now Belize, Mm -hmm. and— if you can believe that. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry. Terrible. But uh, what he would do back then, and this is after, you know, of course, his the big flight, the big one. Uh, he would get hired mm-hmm. to do the like these little exploratory routes right. for airlines, and in this case, Pan Am, 
He may have done that exclusively for Pan Am. I have no idea. I don't either. I wasn't in his contract business. No. But uh, he would fly these routes to sort of blaze new trails for like for flying routes and say, hey, uh, this is a pretty legit flying route yeah. for delivering stuff or, or even passenger routes mm-hmm. and maybe add it to your to your docket. Right. So he was doing this, and he was flying over— Is this episode on air routes? No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> because he was flying over uh, Mexico and Central America. Well, Belize, like you said. Yeah, and, and it was just very dense jungle everywhere he looked until he went over this one part— mm-hmm. Uh, where it was described, not by Charles Lindbergh for some reason, mm-hmm. but by an Associated Press writer who apparently got into the head of Charles Lindbergh right. and said it looked like two emerald eyes staring up out of the jungle brush, uh, the tangle of the jungle brush. So he went back, flew a little lower mm-hmm. to investigate, and what he found was what? That the, that the emerald eyes were actually twin reflecting pools in a massive stone temple, yes, like reflecting the sun into his face. And he was like... Um, so was he a stone temple pilot? I guess so. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Is that off the cuff? Yeah, it was. That was pretty good. Okay. Um, that was great, actually. Uh, and he realized that he was looking at the ruins of a lost city. That's right. A massive stone lost city. Actually, I don't think he realized that, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. But we now... Know that well, he he saw that it was covered in jungle and, and overgrowth it's and covered everything. In jungle, yeah, and he so well, the legend goes, Chuck, that that um, Charles Lindbergh discovered the lost Mayan civilization. Right, he, which is not true. No, well, okay, it, it's nuanced. Yes, that particular article is probably totally made up. Yeah, and but even if he did find that part, he didn't. He didn't discover, and that's probably not what you even said. He did not discover the lost Maya mm-hmm. civilization. Right. He he found a a, a part of it. Right. It's, it's it's apocryphal. It's an apocryphal story because by that time people were aware that the Maya had existed, mm-hmm. but they had kind of been seen as legend for a very long time. But starting in, from what I could tell, the 1920s, mm-hmm. they started um, finding these massive, huge lost cities, just like Lindbergh supposedly found. Right. And later on, Lindbergh did actually fly over some of these lost cities and photograph them, and he got into aerial archaeology. But the point is this. There are, still are, and there definitely were more lost cities Mm -hmm. uh, that were just enormous with huge temples, some of them pyramids that were among the tallest pyramids in the world. Yeah. Completely overgrown by the jungle, just overtaken abandoned cities. And they started looking around and they started finding more of these cities and more and more all over the Yucatan and northern, uh, well, actually all of Guatemala into Honduras, Belize, and El Salvador. A big chunk of Central America. Yeah. That there's these lost cities that were found and they all seem to share something in common, so much so that they now realize that they were peopled by the same cultural group, the Maya. That's right. So let's talk about the Maya. Let's go back even further. Mm-mm. Let's go back between 2600 and 1200, or 2600 BC and 1200 AD, uh-huh. or what we now would call CE. CE. Or I think people now just say like years ago. Do they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do they really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, they're like, get religion out of it entirely. Just say a long time ago. Yeah, this this many years ago. Okay. Yeah. So many, many years ago, the Maya civilization um, 
occupied this big area that we were talking about. And there's a period of time known as the classic classic Maya. That's what they call it. <laughs> right. The classic period between They'd stumble on their way through the door. <laughs> between two fifty and nine hundred where I mean you talk about flourishing as a culture. Yeah. Like it was uh, it hadn't been seen since the Roman Empire, basically. Yeah. These cities uh, 60 or more, 60, 70,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, they had sports arenas. They had pyramids. Mm-hmm. They had these advanced farming practices. They made calendars. Right. They understood math and were really, really advanced. And I believe even um, at the time, some of these cities outnumbered the amount of people that were in places like London and Paris at yeah. that same time. Yeah. Yeah, in like something like, uh, say, 800 CE, if you travel over to London and Paris, you find far fewer people. Like double or triple the amount Yeah, in this uh, Maya culture. The way that I saw it put was in these, in the, in the area of like um, the Yucatan and Guatemala, mm-hmm. the, the um, southern lowlands, I think is what they call it, where like most of the great Mayan cities were, um, the population density is about what it is today in Los Angeles County. Wow. Imagine that. And now it's just overrun jungle, rainforest mostly. Um, but it used to be as dense as L.A. County. Like people just everywhere. Yeah, that's dense. Yeah, super dense. So uh, here's the thing about the Maya empires. They were never one big group. Um, they were never unified politically. Mm-hmm. They were just a bunch of warring city-states, but really thriving. And they also had, like, political alliances between city-states. Sure. But that same city-state could be at, like, total war 50 years right. later, you know? Yeah. It was shifting constantly. That's right. But the, the thing we really need to hammer home is that they were doing great for themselves. <laughs> right. They were really thriving as a culture and as a people. And then in about a 150-year period between 800 and 950, they— disappeared. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, the classic Maya culture just vanished into the jungle. And that is not to say that the people all died. Mm -hmm. Uh, They assimilated into other cultures. But what you were talking about, that Maya culture and those those big cities of 70,000 people just went away. Yeah. It'd be kind of like a a good (laughs) analogy is if over, you know, the next 30 years, yeah. Um, the, the United States just suddenly reverted to 16th century agrarian practices. That was it. We just abandoned our cities and went and farmed. Yeah. And, like, we didn't farm with any tractors or anything like that. We started using ox, um, oxen, just completely abandoned our culture and went back to a simple— farming lifestyle. That would basically be the closest analogy you could come up with. Yeah. And it happened really fast. Super fast. And uh, as a result, that Mayan culture, uh, like you said, was sort of looked at as a legend mm-hmm. um, before you know we started finding these places again. Yeah, because you know locals kind of knew about it. They'd be like, oh, if you go into the jungle, you're going to find a lost city. Mm-hmm. Explorers were like, you're, you're, you're crazy. That's not real. Yeah. But then they started to actually find these lost cities. And what's really surprising to me is they're still finding lost cities. Every year, there'll be some new study coming out yeah. that says, oh, we used LIDAR. I think it's light. LIDAR. Yeah, <laughs> L- LIDAR. It's basically... 
a way of looking through vegetation uh-huh. to see solid structures underneath. Oh, okay. So they're looking through the jungle. It's like a jungle x-ray. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it's perfect. Um, and they're starting to find even more lost cities. And they're also finding that the lost cities that we know about, there's one called El Mirador mm-hmm. that hasn't been kind of uh, excavated yet, but it's the, the pyramid is so tall that is sticking up out of the jungle canopy. Wow. So they know there's a lost city there, but um, using LIDAR, they've seen like, oh, it's way more extensive than we thought before. Wow. El Mirador probably had 100,000 people living in the city center at its peak. All right, so that's a good setup. Uh, we're going to take a break and discuss the merits of Jungle X-Ray as a band name and be back right after this. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy? But you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody, it's time to talk about Squarespace. Squarespace has absolutely everything you could possibly need to build whatever website you're trying to. You can host video content and organize your entire video library, plus showcase it on beautiful video pages. You can use analytics to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. What else, Chuck? Well, buddy, if you got merch, then you can sell it on Squarespace. You can easily sell custom merch and create a passive income stream that engages your audience and scales your brand. Design your products and production, inventory, and shipping are all handled for you, saving you time and money. Yeah, and if your business is appointment-based, you can accept appointments on your Squarespace website. You can offer online or in-person private sessions, workshops, and group classes. And Squarespace provides everything you need to manage your schedule, accept secure payments, and send automatic reminders, all in a beautifully showcased site. So just go to squarespace.com slash stuff and you're going to get a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use our offer code stuff to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. It's not bad. What kind of band would it be? That's your specialty. (laughs) Jungle Jungle X-Ray sounds like a party band, right? It does. It's got a lot of funk going on. Soul and funk, I think. 70s? Sure. But not, but like a 70s throwback that like didn't exist in the 70s. Oh, yeah. Like uh, the. uh, Like a Yacht Rock. Sisters. Oh, who's that? Wasn't that a band? Jerry, Scissor Sisters, that was like a funky throwback 70s thing okay I gotta listen to them well they were around for a minute I think they're not around anymore oh all right well, but they, they, they leave s- like any kind of archive or par- documentation <laughs> of their music <laughs> <laughs> I seem to remember them being like a party band I don't know but I mean do they have a record out or what yeah man they had records I'm gonna go check them out then I think I just made this up <laughs> 
All right. So the Maya disappeared. Why would Jerry know? Is she hip all of a sudden? I don't know. <laughs> she just, well, I'm not even going to say what she just <laughs> yeah, did. No. So uh, Charles Lindbergh comes around, referred to previous uh, story. We already talked about Lindbergh. I know. Okay. Refer to previous story. That's why I said that. Okay. And uh, he he puts this back on the map again, mm-hmm. and everyone is excited about discovering about who these people were. Right. But the whole thing, like from the outset, they're like, what happened to these people? Sure. And the more we learned about them, this is the other thing, like the legends of this sudden civilization just vanishing. Yeah. Like the more we studied them, the more we realized that's actually kind of accurate. The legends are true. There was this amazing culture that just vanished into the forest. And um, it, and one of the big things, one of the big breakthroughs in studying Maya culture was cracking um, their written alphabet. Yes. They used hieroglyphs. And there's a really, really good documentary called um, Cracking the Maya Code mm-hmm. on, I think it was a Nova episode. Ooh. Dude, it is good. Yeah. It's thrilling. And it basically is them just sitting around some house uh, one summer trying to figure this out. But they're like going back and forth. And some, like, I think some like 20 year old woman figured it out. Wow. Yeah. And they, they, now we understand a lot more. But what we're finding is it's like, oh, no, this is, this really happened. Something really weird happened here. And we still aren't quite sure what caused it. That was a very odd description of, how they figured that out. What? Sitting around a house? That's what they did. <laughs> okay. I think they had like a workshop or something. They're like, right. we're, we're really going to try to figure this out. We're going to try to crack this code. And they actually did. At right, the if workshop. we only had some house <laughs> what? where we could go sit in. Well, that's what they were doing. It was a house. Someone's house, I think. I love it. So Watch, knowing me, it, it was definitely not a house by any stretch. And I'll have to do a correction. They're like, uh, Josh, is your house Harvard University? <laughs> So there are some theories that have been developed over the years that all kind of make sense. And some of them, it's not necessarily a binary thing. Some of them could have all contributed to the collapse of the Maya. Right. Um, Overfarming is one, which makes a lot of sense. And that's the idea that basically they were so successful, they had tons of food, tons of water. And so they said, well, let's just make tons and tons of babies which all of a sudden the farmers are like, well, geez, we're really growing. Uh, hey, everybody. Yeah, like, I don't know if we can grow this much corn. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's clear some forest land and grow, 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 uh, which means they're not practicing safe and sound farming practices all of a sudden. <laughs> right. They weren't practicing safe sex and they weren't practicing <laughs> safe farming. That's right. So um, because of this over-farming, they weren't allowed to, or they didn't have the opportunity to let their fields lay fallow because everything was in production, which is, there's really no faster way to overstretch your agricultural resources than that. That's right. What we're, here to, we're here to tell you. <laughs> uh, well, warfare, we know they were a warring people for sure. Mm-hmm. So the Maya rulers were, they did a lot of disservice to their own people mm-hmm. by kind of overinflating uh, their resources and how tough they were. Um, what kind of warriors they were and how powerful they were. They could make it rain. They can control the weather and thus control the crops. And this may have backfired on them, as the theory goes, that they warred so much that they uh, sapped their own resources and eventually people retaliated and they were not able to fight back. Right. 
And I think the guy who led that workshop at that dude's house <laughs> where they cracked the code, I cannot uh-huh. remember his name, but he's a, a, a eminent Maya scholar. Mm-hmm. He he is of the camp that's like, it was warfare. That's, that's what it was. Plain and simple, they just fought too much and they eventually, they, they reached some tipping point from war. And there's real evidence about some of these cultures, at least, mm-hmm. or some of these cities going down because of warfare. Yeah, I mean, like, they, they engaged in total war, where they would, like, target civilians, they would burn your whole city down. They Like, it wasn't, like, they were a very warlike group, which is funny because for a very long time, they were portrayed as um, one of the few Mesoamerican groups that didn't practice human sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And then once we cracked the Maya code, we're like, oh, no, actually, they were prolific at that. Wow. Yeah. It yeah. was bad news. The other is disease. And this is um, not human disease necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, like a virus from their food supply. Yeah, that's another ecological disaster. That's right. I think maize mosaic virus was named in a 1979 article. So, like there's a lot of a lot of good theories out there, mm-hmm. and they don't aren't necessary. It's not a zero sum kind of thing figuring right. it out. But there's over the years lately, um, I don't in the last like decade or two maybe, people have really started to say, you know, I think we should look a little closer at the role climate change might play in this kind of stuff. And when they look specifically at the Maya, they said. Actually, it looks a lot like climate change played a big role in in the decline of the classic Maya civilization. That's right. And just because the Maya didn't uh, burn fossil fuels uh, to run cars Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that the earth wasn't affected by climate change Mm -hmm. and that they weren't affected by climate change. Yeah, they think that probably climate change happened on its own, but they've also pinpointed some ways that the Maya may have exacerbated it too. You mean people can impact that? (laughs) <laughs> some Fruit Loops say so. So they've done some studies. Uh, they studied mineral deposits um, in caves left by dripping water, and they have been able to put together a 2,000-year history of weather patterns. Based on speleothems alone. That's right. Uh, and what they found out, and this was published in an article in Science uh, in 2012, Science Magazine. <laughs> right. The journal science. The journal science. Yeah, it's not called like Science Weekly or whatever. <laughs> the, the Ohio State University. Um, but what they did find out was for the first few hundred years, and this really lends uh, a lot of credence to the theory that they may have overfarmed and stuff like that, mm-hmm. is they really had a lot of rain, and they flourished as a result of that. Yeah, which you can't really blame them. It's, it's them saying, okay, well, let's thrive, Yeah, and we can thrive in these conditions. It's not like they were like, Oh, okay. It's this is a really wet period. Let's take advantage of it and really overstretch our ourselves. Yeah. Um, they just kind of went with it, and their population grew because it could be supported. Because there was such a, a large amount of rain, their crops grew, their reservoirs were full. And this is a few hundred years, right? Over the course of a few hundred years. But, yeah. But from looking at the cave deposits, they found that there was a very wet record. That corresponds with the classical Maya period. Okay. Wet Record is a Scissor <laughs> Sisters album? I don't know. A jun- What was it? Jungle X-Ray album? A jungle X-Ray. Wet Record. So. <laughs> around, Jerry, is that hip? That's hip. Oh, Jerry doesn't She's like disgusted with this at this point. Uh, around 660 AD, this all changed. Uh, the rain. <laughs> what is that funny for? I just thought of a good analogy. So, Jungle X-Ray... 
their album Wet Record uh-huh. is to 70s funk soul throwbacks what the darkness permission to land is the 80s hair metal throwback. That's not an SAT question. I think I think we just get it, Chuck. Did we crack the code? Yeah. We, we cracked that jungle x-ray code. Did you see where Motley Crue's going to play shows again? Again? After we supposedly saw their farewell tour, yeah. that they even signed a contract saying they could legally never perform again together. Yeah. And they're going on a stadium tour with... Poison and Def Leppard. What? I know. I'll see you there. Yeah. So. Remember, we got invited to that show by Nita Strauss. That's right. Who is like huge. Yeah, guitar player at the time, maybe still for Alice Cooper's band. Yeah, I think she does that still, I think, but she's like a guitar legend now. Yeah, she's got her own jam. Yeah. She's great. I hope she still listens. She's probably not. (laughs) Uh, But around 660, the weather changed. The rains did not come uh, like they used to. And they had the longest dry spell of the last 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. And this is going to have a real impact when everything's flourishing and you're just planting and planting. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're A, you're thirsty. That's a big one. And B, you're not, you're hungry. That thirst thing, it's funny because like we're talking about rainforests, but this area in northern Guatemala where the Maya lived is Mm -hmm. called the Petén or the Petén, I don't know, P-E-T-E-N. And... It is kind of like feast or famine, depending on the the rain cycle. Yeah. So when it's dry, it's like you're you're in trouble because mm-hmm. the closest groundwater is about 500 feet below the surface. Oh wow! And um, it's not going to rain for a very long time. So if you haven't prepared by building reservoirs, you're you might die of thirst. Wow! So a drought in the Petén, which is normally dry some parts of the year, would be a real problem. And if if you're talking about a drought that lasts over years or possibly decades. Now you have a civilization collapsing problem. That's right. Yeah. So that's a big problem in and of itself. Mm -hmm. You've got a big population that grew when it was wet. Suddenly it's not wet, and you still have that big population. There's a lot of internal problems that can can develop, especially between classes, too. Sure. The haves and the Mm have-nots, which existed back then. But also the rulers who are like, you know, more human sacrifices. We need to keep this this, this thing going to get the rain to come back. Well, and uh, the common folk being like, geez, I don't know about this. Uh, You know, it hadn't rained in a while. I know. It was my cousin before, but now (laughs) he's asking for my brother. Yeah, exactly. So that created a lot of tension. Uh, The other thing that could have uh, sped this whole thing up, was the fact that they were thriving so much that they were expanding their territory mm-hmm. and they were cutting down and deforesting the land around them right. uh, for fuel and to build things. And they have found, uh, they found pollen. They studied pollen in these ancient layers and lake sediment in Central America. Mm-hmm. And around 800 AD, that pollen went from tree pollen to weed pollen pretty quickly. Yeah, and that's about when the uh, Maya reached their fluorescence when they really reached their pinnacles, about yeah. 800. So what that suggests is they'd cut down all the forests and they were using the, what used to be forest for cropland because they practiced slash and char. Right. Where they would burn it down to introduce carbon nutrients into the ground. Um, the problem is, is if there's no forest whatsoever, you've just altered your ecosystem. And by doing that, you can actually alter the local climate, which they think they may have. Yeah, not only that, but it's going to have just the, the physical effect of erosion, like mm-hmm. a massive erosion. Right. Because those tree roots are gone. Yeah. 
and that's going to screw up your farmland as well. Right. So your topsoil's gone. Mm-hmm. Your trees are no longer keeping things as cool as they were before. That's right. There was a NASA model that predicted that the um, the temperature in the area rose by about six degrees Fahrenheit, which is a lot. I mean, that's noticeable for humans, mm-hmm. but if you're talking about plants and soil, yeah. that's that can really exacerbate a drought when you've already got a bad drought in a normally dry area. That's not good. So the, not climate, good. the climate record is showing, okay, it's, it was already bad, but they probably made things worse with the deforestation. Yeah, and that, that, all that stuff combined, and then maybe throw in a little dash of the previous theories, <clears throat> could very well explain why they said, you know, we're getting out of here, mm-hmm. and we're going to go live a smaller life, a, a more sustainable life smaller life that's not in a big city. Right, yeah. And they think also that, you know, the other things dashed in, like um, the warfare. Sure. Like if you're in a town and you know the next town or the next city state over has big reservoirs and your people are dying of thirst, invading that other city might seem like a pretty good idea. Right. And if that happens enough times, then you have a lot of war going on everywhere, and that can really make your civilization decline pretty bad too. Should we take another break? Sure. All right, we'll take another break and talk about how this— uh, climate change could have affected some other civilizations throughout history. Listen to this. It's a game changer. Amazon is now in healthcare. Yes, Amazon. It's called Amazon One Medical. They offer same-day appointments. And if that's not convenient enough for you, they also have 24-7 virtual care. Yeah, you know, imagine you're feeling so sick that even the thought of getting out of bed is just too much for you. With Amazon One Medical, you don't have to leave the house. Of course, what good is that if you then have to drag yourself to the pharmacy, but you don't have to do that either because of Amazon Pharmacy. It makes a lot of sense. Delivering things fast is what Amazon is known for, and that's exactly what they do here. They'll deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. No waiting in pharmacy lines with people who probably all have something worse than whatever you're there for. Again, this is a game changer. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful. Hey, everybody. Summer is the perfect time for gathering with friends and family in the backyard to enjoy premium cuts of meat, fresh seasonal produce, and more. And, of course, we're talking about Whole Foods Market. And speaking of that meat, you can fire up the grill with premium cuts of meat like no antibiotics ever beef New York strip steak and beautifully marbled boneless beef ribeye steak. Your grill will thank you. And you can also grab and go. Whole Foods Market has grab and go favorites like packaged salads, appetizers, and sides. They're really perfect for bringing to any kind of potluck barbecue. Yes, plus don't forget dessert. Every gathering needs dessert. You can dig into limited time seasonal pies from their experts in the bakery. Or how about some adult beverages? You can always fill up that cooler with some summer beers, seltzers, sparkling wine, canned wines, and more. Must be 21 plus, of course, and please drink responsibly. So make Whole Foods Market your summer grilling destination. All right, Chuck, so it's not just the Maya. This is the thing. This is kind of a new way of looking at history and especially social collapses, the idea that climate change played some driving role in it. And they started to look around. They're like, oh, actually, this kind of explains a lot of different ones that we didn't, we thought we understood before. 
And the the understanding before would be like, well, this king died and this created political instability. Right. And we have evidence that there was this war and this group got, got invaded. What they're starting to find now is actually there might have been climate change right. that led to crop failure, that led to instability, mm-hmm. that that allowed this, this kingdom to be invaded because it was weakened by a, a dying population. Yeah, what it is is a more nuanced look mm-hmm. at civilization and, and ancient histories because I'm sure there are a lot of people that when you talk about the Neo-Assyrian Empire, which thrived in what is now modern-day Iraq for a few hundred years, yeah. and that was one of those where the death of a king is what everyone was always said, well, that's what did it. Right. And there, I'm sure there were historians who were like, you know, that there's something missing. Yeah, they had so many kings that had died leading up to this. Yeah. Why this one? That's right. And they started to look in particular at the Neo-Assyrian Empire, and they said, oh, actually, if we go and look at the cave record again, they went to a cave called uh, Kunaba mm-hmm. um, in northern Iraq, and they said, well, actually, the, the record of rainfall captured by this cave, by these mineral deposits in these caves, kind of show that there was that same thing that happened with the Maya, a very wet period Mm -hmm. that corresponds with the growth of the society and a very, very dry period that corresponds with its collapse. And that's not coincidence. They don't think so. It's starting to look like it's really not coincidence. Uh, Another one, uh, the Angkor Wat Temple in Asia, Mm -hmm. uh, in Southeast Asia. uh, Asia? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was like old timey. Was uh, who was it that said Paul or Abdul? Because I've been saying that for like thirty something years. I don't know. It was I think in a Spike Lee movie or something. Sounds like, um, like Totoro or maybe Paul uh, or Abdul. Who is the guy who ran Sal's Pizza? Danny Aiello. I could totally see him saying it. Might that. have been Paul or Abdul. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is I've been saying it for many many years now. So the uh, Angkor Wat Temple. Yeah. The Khmer Empire mm-hmm. in Southeast Asia uh, flourished for between 802 and 1431 CE. That's a long time. It's a very long time, but they think that drought, once again, along with like monsoon-like rains, mm-hmm. uh, really is what brought them down as well. So again, the effects of uh, the climate. And if you look at the Khmer Empire, particularly around Angkor Wat, um, that's the very famous, like, lost temple in the rainforest yeah, sure. that you've seen. Um, the historians have long known that they got invaded and taken over, and now they think, actually, the reason that was allowed to happen is because of climate change, and, it, like, it led to problems that weakened the society that allowed them to be invaded right. and taken over. Yeah, that this idea it's that an ingredient. A, a, right, that a civilization is just, like, doing fine, doing fine, suddenly invaded and taken over by a neighbor— that's right. been there for hundreds of years, like, but have stopped asking what was it that did that. Right. Now they're saying it looks like climate change may have played a role. I think that's just fascinating. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the same with the Vikings in the 13th and 14th centuries. They left Greenland. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had been around for several hundred years, and uh, that was because of the Little Ice Age. Yeah, they had farming techniques that worked before the Little Ice Age, which was— a very, very cool period around the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think from like 800 to 1600 or something like that. No, into the 19th century, I think. At any rate, um, their farming techniques stopped working in Greenland because it was too cold. So they had to leave. The land said, you got to leave, Vikings. And they went, oh. 
fine. We're, we'll go take some shrooms and go berserk and get out of here. <laughs> yeah, berserkers. Yeah. So there's a lot we can learn about, uh, you know, looking back through history, not only um, on the battlefield and politically, but also um, if we look at it through this lens, it may be climate change was a cause of the collapse of or an ingredient for the cause of collapse of some of these uh, civilizations, mm -hmm. that the same thing could be happening to us very right. slowly right in front of our eyeballs. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the things is if you step back and look at these these historic falls of civilizations, um, like it's not like they were like, oh, there's a drought going on. That's it for our culture. Right. It's like this was an underlying driver that they may or may not have pointed to as the cause of these larger things. Right. You know, if you're engaged in like a civil war or an invasion, you're not stopping and thinking like, gosh, it's because of this drought. Right. You're focused on the invasion. It's the immediate thing. Yeah. And in, an, in the exact same way, I mean, we're not that removed from people who lived a millennia ago as long as the, the way that our brains work. Yeah. We tend to look at the trees rather than the forest too. And if that's the case, and we're in this period of climate change right now, it's really worrying to think that uh, a little bit of climate change can lead to social yeah. collapse. And not directly. Again, that's the thing. That's what a lot of people argue about is climate change isn't going to cause society to collapse. Not directly. Right. But it could lay the groundwork for that's all right. the stuff that goes wrong uh -huh. that we're failing to identify is ultimately caused by climate change. That's what we need to be paying attention to if that is, in fact, the case. That's right. And uh, like we said, there are a lot of indicators that some of these same things are going on, uh, deforestation not being the least among them. Mm -hmm. uh, we are cutting down a lot of trees, and we have cut down a lot of trees. Ninety percent of the forest of northern America— yeah, Just been, the U.S. alone. Oh, just the U.S.? Mm -hmm. —have been cut down. Um, trees are 50 percent carbon, roughly, and they absorb—and this is a very big deal— uh, they absorb between 1 and 3 million metric tons of CO2, which offsets, which we need, between 20 and 46 percent of what we put into the atmosphere. Yeah. So you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out if there's fewer trees, then there's going to be more CO2 in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And I think it's even more significant than that. We did a whole episode. I don't remember the ins and outs of it. We did a whole episode on cutting down trees and the effect it has on weather. Oh, yeah. Um, and I remember it was it has a big effect, like from single trees to huge forests. Like mm -hmm. each 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 loss of tree has an impact for sure. And it's not like uh, we're stopping now. In the Pacific Northwest, um, roughly eighty percent of the old growth forest is is slated for logging to go away for right. logging purposes. Yeah. Which old growth forests? I read a really cool article on the old growth forests of Atlanta uh -huh. and how Atlanta is a you know, if anyone's ever been here from like out west, maybe mm -hmm. they remark about how Atlanta is a city in a forest. Right. And and I was wondering what old growth meant. And it was a really cool article. And it the, the years differ depending on uh, who you're asking. But it's basically a forest that has not been touched by humans mm -hmm. for between 100 and 150 years. That's cool. And there's still old growth forest in Atlanta. It's great. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Wow. Like pine forests or? No, just, you know. Like like hardwoods? Sure. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's very It neat. is. Like when you fly into town, you're like, this is just in the, it's like a lost city in the middle of a jungle. That's right. But still functioning. Uh, what about social change mm -hmm. and, uh, and what's going on with that? So, I mean, one of the things that seems to be a hallmark of uh, a collapsing civilization for whatever reason mm -hmm. 
uh, and as part of its collapse, it can engage in civil war, um, war with other neighboring countries or city-states or whatever. Um, and if climate change is a driver of that, it seems to have happened very recently or happening right now um, because one of the ideas for the basis of the civil war in Syria right now mm-hmm. is a drought brought on by climate change that started in 2006 and actually kind of cast a lot of farmers, a lot of Syrian farmers, out of work from their fields into the cities. And so a lot of unemployed, restless people showed up to the cities, and they think that that uh, was one of the exacerbators that led to the civil war. But that climate change, a drought brought on by climate change, may have been the underlying driver for the Syrian civil war going on right now. Yeah, That like 400,000 people have died in so far. Population growth is another big one. Uh, we talked about both with the Maya and the Assyria uh, empires that, you know, even if you're doing great, you still got to keep the population in check because there is a, there is a point where um, you can't sustain it anymore. Yeah. And we are expected to reach 10 billion people. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. By 2050, 10 billion humans on Earth. Yeah, just around the corner. Uh, and there is an argument that... Um, Technology is our favorable climate. Like, we're doing great, technologically speaking. So we're just still growing and growing and growing. Yeah, we're growing because we can invent anything we need to invent to help out any problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but if that goes away, then we're going to be in big trouble. Um, I have to fess up. That was me editorializing. No, I could tell. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the legitimacy you added to it. And I don't mean that goes away, but, you know, if, if there is a – a breaking point for technological advancement. Well, yeah, it's like the Green Revolution. We went from traditional agriculture to modern agriculture, but modern agriculture is on the verge of reaching its carrying capacity, Yeah, and we have no idea what's coming after that. Plus, we also are well aware that our modern intensive agricultural practices are problematic. There's a lot of fertilizer runoff that can spoil water, including drinking water. Um, There's a lot of soil depletion that comes along with it, and... Uh, in uh, the same way that a lot of other cultures who have fallen seem to have been stubborn and not adapted, mm-hmm. but just kept kept at it, kept at it, despite having warning signs that it wasn't working any longer. Yeah. Um, we seem to be doing the same thing with our farming practices, and we need to figure out a, a more sustainable way to farm. Yeah. I think the thing that distresses me is the lack of a uh, – and there are a lot of people that aren't doing this, but the lack of the long-term outlook – you know, it's like, yeah. well, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Yeah, that's a bummer. So I need to keep, uh, I need to keep pushing forward with whatever farming practices I'm utilizing, or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. One of the one of the suggestions I saw when I was researching the end of the world to get people to care about the future uh-huh. is to extend human lifespans. Oh, so sure. that you're like, oh, that's like 200 years in the future. It's like, yeah. Well, if that was middle age, <laughs> right. you would care about that. Yeah, and that's then interesting. just it's weird to think, you know, it's it's simple if you think about it, but it's also weird to think like just how quickly that would make us start planning for the future a lot more, right? Rather than shrinking the the future into human size, mm-hmm. we would be growing human size into the future. I feel like yeah. the human lifespan or the human awareness of what a lifespan right. is. Yeah, that would change the whole outlook. Yeah, Yumi always had a good question about that, too. She's like, at what point do we stop caring about our descendants? Yeah. You know, we've got kids, grandkids, 
great-grandkids, great-great-grandkids. Eh, just, yeah, that's exactly. What, that's my cutoff. At one point, we <laughs> no. just stopped saying great, and yeah. it's just descendants, you know? Yeah, sure. Now, I wonder, like, where where you really stop caring. Like, do you really care about your great-grandkids? I don't know. Great-great-grandkids? Uh, uh, less so. I <laughs> <laughs> find it fascinating. Or maybe here's the thing. You could just uh, not even think about it in terms of you, your family, mm-hmm. but maybe just planet Earth mm-hmm. and and doing the right thing. Yeah, luckily a lot of people do think that way, or yeah. an increasing amount. We also have to say, Chuck, that, like— the idea that climate change is a driver for social collapse is very new. Mm-hmm. Some people, some historians, some archaeologists are like, this really smacks of a trendy thing, and I'm just not on this bandwagon. Right. It's too young. It's too new. It mm-hmm. just seems too hip, you know, like a Scissor Sisters record. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not, this isn't definitive. It's not set in stone. Yeah. And there's also a lot of people who say, well, we are pretty smart. We're a lot smarter than we were a thousand years ago, and we can invent our way out of any problem. That old bag. But it, I mean, we've done it so far. Yeah. It's tough to argue with in some cases, you know? Good so point. It's, it's not to say that the world is necessarily going to end at any point in time in the near future. But right. Or totally that we cannot well. ourselves assimilate and change and roll with it and go back to maybe a different lifestyle. Well, yeah. Or continue on our technological progress, but, like, say, adopt more sustainable farming practices. I mean, that's the view of the future that uh, all these dystopian films have. Mm. Is this usually, I mean, sometimes it's a barren wasteland Mad Max style. Right. But a lot of times it's, like, a return to the earth and small villages of people farming. That's exactly what happened to the Maya. Yeah. They moved out into farms. The farm, the farm hinterlands where they just continued on like nothing happened. Right. But the people in the cities were like, oh, well, we're Mad Max now. Coastal elites. Yeah, right. <laughs> you got anything else? No. Well, this was the climate change leading to the fall of the Maya, the episode, and that's the end of that. <laughs> and since I said that, it's time for listener mail. Uh, this is from Rosanna in Surrey, United Kingdom. Hey guys, my husband and I are currently renovating an Edwardian house in very poor condition. Mm-hmm. And she detailed it and it just it sounds like a wreck mm-hmm. that they're in the middle of. The lose upside down. But but worth it in the long run, I There's think. There's a lorry in the living room. <laughs> There's a lift in the lorry. Uh, when everything seems to be falling apart around you, the last thing you want is to be left with your own thoughts and your podcast is always there. So I don't have to be. For many years, I've listened to your show the way other people listen to the radio. It's the first thing I put on in the morning when I get up, and this continues on my drive to and from work or whenever I'm in my car, and I often put it on before bed because I find your voices so soothing. Your show really helps with my anxiety as well. Uh, both my husband and I are doing all the work on the house ourselves now. Electrics, plumbing, plastering, Lowers, lifts, tiling, decorating, you name it. And I've left my job to work on the house full time. So for the past six months, I listen to you two talking to keep me company and learning while I'm working, which lasts at least nine hours a day. Solid Josh and Chuck. Man alive. Uh, You basically become my main source of human contact, guys. For example, it's only 1020 in the morning, and I've already been listening to you for four hours and 20 minutes. (laughs) Roseanne, are you okay? (laughs) You all right? Uh, And we'll continue to do so until my husband gets home late tonight. Obviously, this means a lot of repeated shows, but it never gets boring. 
Uh, much of the DIY work is unbelievably slow and tedious. Yeah, I bet. Uh, I've been there, Rosanna. I definitely would have lost my mind long ago if it wasn't for Stuff You Should Know. And I want to say a huge thank you for keeping me sane, educated, and chuckling along when I do uh, would otherwise be on the floor crying about how much I have to do. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what you guys do is brilliant, and I wanted to let you know uh, you're not just educating people and helping to expand their beliefs. You're also genuinely helping me feel connected to others while I try to create a home for me, my husband, and our two idiot cats and two house rabbits. That's awesome. I want to come see you. Yeah, that's pretty I cool. I want to see your Victorian home. Edwardian. I want to see your two idiot cats mm-hmm. and your two house rabbits. Um, are you going to help plaster? Would I say Victorian? Yes, Edwardian. Are you going to help plaster? I'll plaster the crud out of that house. He'll get plastered and do some plastering. <laughs> that's right. He'll be all over the place. <laughs> He'll get it all over the lorry. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Rosanna. Best of luck in the renovation. I'm glad we can help you out. That's good to hear. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Rosanna did to let us know what you're doing with your time, we always want to hear about that. You can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and check out our social links, or you can send us an email to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Hey, friends, when someone says Amazon, do you think healthcare? Well, maybe you should. Amazon One Medical offers same-day appointments, and if somehow that's still not convenient enough, they have 24-7 virtual care. Not only that, there's also Amazon Pharmacy, so after your virtual care appointment, Amazon will deliver your prescriptions directly to your door. Now, waiting in line with people who are sick with who knows what. It's a new era of healthcare. Thanks to Amazon Pharmacy and Amazon One Medical, healthcare just got less painful.